My guess is that you've probably had a moment in your life when you thought something was going to happen this way, and it actually turned out a totally different way. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. Okay, we're all tracking. That's good. We're all together. I remember in uh, 10th grade, there was a gal in my youth group, <coughs> a young lady in my youth group, um, and let's call her Kim, and I, I thought she was kind of making some eyes at me. I was thinking, you know what? Maybe, maybe this weekend is the weekend. Date night, it's going to be fun. Kim, I'm going to be popular again. It's going to be great. <laughs> Not that I ever was popular in the first place. Anyway. So I go to Kim and I make this very nervous proposal to her reply was absolutely not. <laughs> and I was crushed because I got the vibes, I got the eyes, I, I thought something was going to go one way and it went a totally different way. How many movie watchers do we have in here? I love the silver screen. Yep. A lot of fun. It's rare that a movie can kind of get me. Robin doesn't like it because within 10, 15 minutes of the movie, I've kind of already figured out the plot, who the bad guy is, those kind of things. And she doesn't like it when I announce that to everyone around me. Um, But I remember the first time this really happened to me where a movie got me. 1999, Sixth Sense. Oh, I got all you too. I see. Yeah, that's good. The storyline is this child psychologist who is helping this single mom and her kid, her child sees dead people. And I'm thinking it's, I know, starting to give it away here. (laughs) It's crazy. And it's not toward the end of the movie that it's revealed. By the way, I'm about to reveal something here. The psychologist is dead. And at the end of the movie, I was like, no way. My mind was blown. I was like, wow, I thought one thing and something else happened. Now, when we look at the world around us, they give us a specific script. They say, look, success looks like fill in the blank for you. Maybe it's a large bank account. Maybe it's uh, the, the new bigger house that you just bought or the fact that you've got two cars in the driveway. It could be the degree hanging on your wall. Uh, any number of things would spell success to the world. But Jesus gives us something totally different that defines success, and especially if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us this upside-down kingdom that says the reality is the relationships that you have in life and how you best represent me in the world equals success. It has nothing to do with monetary value or the stuff we collect and possess and end up in our garage. It doesn't matter the diplomas on the wall. Jesus says... I'm calling you to something totally different. I want you to live in such a way that when the world looks in at your fellowship, your family of brothers and sisters, they scratch their head and they think, I want some of that. How do I get to be a part of that? Because those folks are joyful and happy. No, does everything always go the way? No, but they've got a peace that I don't have when I lay my head down at night. And I want to know what that really is about. Jesus is going to be represented by Paul in the letter that we're going through. Philippians chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. And we're going to look at a very uh, well-known text, a very common text. If you grew up in church at all, you've heard this text before. And so I want to challenge you this morning that you would kind of put aside some of the things that you have kind of rested on and known about this text once we get into it. And I want to challenge you this morning to kind of look at it through different lens. 
Think about something in the text that I've never noticed that before. I haven't seen that before. Wow, that's a challenge I haven't really had before, and I want to see how that plays out in my life. That's what I want to challenge you to this morning. Because the book of Philippians is so rich with what, it, what we're called to live out in this discipled life, this Jesus life. Now, Paul writes this letter from a dark prison cell. He is chained, um, he's in prison rather, and he's chained to a Roman soldier. He's awaiting his trial, which he believes will probably lead to his execution, his death. And yet all through these four chapters that we have, it's just overbounding reminder of the joy that we have in Christ because Paul has changed his mindset. If you read through the book of Philippians, you'll notice 16 different times Paul talks about the mind. How do we change our perspective? How do we change our mind as we roll through? Now, Paul has an affinity to this particular church because he established it. If you go to Acts chapter 16, which we won't this morning, but in Acts chapter 16, Paul goes to Philippi, this Roman colony that's very prestigious, well-known. As a matter of fact, if you're a Roman citizen, you served in the military, it was a place where you could go and retire. It was a beautiful place. But we also know that it wasn't, there wasn't a large Jewish presence there. Paul had gone in chapter 16 of Acts to, to be at the synagogue to worship with uh, other Jews. But according to Jewish law, you had to have at least 10 adult uh, Jewish men in order to build a synagogue. There didn't seem to be one at the time when Paul got there because he finds the Jewish women at the river praying. And he joins them. And what we're going to kind of extrapolate from that is this letter to the church in Philippi is calling that church to not be so argumentative, to to really get along with each other. In chapter four, we'll get to in a couple of weeks, he's going to call two women out by name and we can assume that they probably were at that that river meeting in Acts chapter 16. Paul is, is reminding the church there that life together is so important and it's not about getting your own way. It's not, uh, not about your agenda. It's not getting your, your feelings hurt over every little thing. And I've been in a lot of churches over my life, and it's just kind of church life. I mean, we're, we're going to rub each other just a little bit at times. There's going to be a different theology, a different way to do something, a different uh, way to, to handle maybe evangelism or even preaching, a way to lead a Bible class. And there are going to be moments when we get on each other's nerves. And Paul is realizing that in this church that he loves so much. He says, you know, the Christian life is so much more than what it's turning out to be for you guys. And I want to call you all back and remind you what it's really about. So he establishes this church in about 52 A.D., he writes this letter in about 62 A.D. And so there's been about 10 years and they've kept in contact, and he loves them so much, and they love him right back. It's a beautiful relationship that they have one with another. But in the text today, Paul is going to remind us, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because you and I are going to have to give some things up if we're going to call ourselves Jesus followers. It's not about my way. It's not about my agenda. I'm going to have to change the way I think about some things along the way. So let's get into our text Chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 1 and 2. And Paul is going to open with some rhetorical questions. He says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? 
Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Well, the answer to all those questions is yes, a resounding yes, of course. He says, then, if that's true, and it is, verse 2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Now, if you've got your own Bibles, I want to encourage you to circle three or four different ideas in verse 2 because they're important to our faith walk. It's important for us to recognize how we're called to live in Christ as a body of believers, realizing that we're better together rather than alone. So some of those things might be that we agree wholeheartedly with the purpose that we're here, and that's to raise the name of Jesus, to point everybody to him. We're called to love one another. That's another one. Working together with one mind. That's another The one mind, the one purpose is the fact that we love Jesus and we want the world to know what we know, to have the peace and the joy in our life that we have because we're found in Christ Jesus. Akel mentioned it last week, he kind of introduced the idea that there was a little friction in the church, there was a little um, division going on, and Paul wants to challenge them to change their perspective, change their mindset, think about something different. And so here in verse two, he mentions being of one mind and one purpose. And the Greek word there that Paul uses is this idea of setting your affection on, to pursue with everything that you have, to think about all the time, to have a single-mindedness about Jesus and letting his story be known. Rather than little agendas and the things that are kind of stepping on your toes, think about collectively, we're called to lift up the name of Jesus. And this idea about changing your mindset, your perspective, is all over the Bible, all throughout Scripture. James says in James chapter 1, a double-minded person is unstable. In other words, you can't have two feet in two different places or you're going to fall down. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, take every thought captive for Jesus Christ. Everything we think about, everything we're focused on, be single-minded, pursue it, have an affection in that direction. That's what Paul is calling us to. And the writer in Proverbs chapter 3 says, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. And so what we can extrapolate from what Paul is calling us to in this letter is this idea that what you think determines what you become. What you think determines what you become. And so we want to focus on Jesus. We want him to be, the the moment we hit our, our feet on the floor and we start the morning, he is the reason why we're alive, why we're breathing, why we have life, why we have joy and peace. And we want to pass that on to everyone we come in contact with. Paul is calling us to that kind of life. Jesus is too. And he says, look, if you're going to be my follower, it means you're going to give some things up. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to let some things go and you're going to take on some other ideas. And so Paul is calling us to this this mind of Christ, to live like Jesus lived. And so we can find that by looking in the four Gospels. We, We dig into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see how Jesus lived. He was someone that was in love with the people, compassionate toward folks who had been kicked to the curb and society said, we don't want anything to do with you. Jesus grabbed hold of them by the hand and pulled them into his life. He was a, a guy that was full of forgiveness and passion. He was obedient to the Father's will, even when that will sent him to the cross. 
And we are called by Paul to live that kind of life. And so we realize what Paul is saying to us is that if you think like Jesus thought, then you'll live like Jesus lived. If you think like Jesus thought, then you'll live like Jesus lived. There were two things that Jesus said are the most important things. We find that in Matthew chapter 22, rather, in verse 37. And Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says it doesn't really matter the version of the Bible you read, what the name is on the door, how often you're in the door of the church building. At the end of the day, the two most important things are that you pursue God with all of your heart and your passion. Every day of your life, secondly, you treat everyone else better than you treat yourself. Those are the two things. Those are the most important things. And back to our text in verse 3, Paul is going to start stepping on a lot of our toes in these next two or three verses. He says in verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Paul is saying, look, you're going to have to say goodbye to yourself. If you want to be a follower of Christ, that's what we're called to be. And the Greek word for humble there is this idea of modesty and lowliness of mind. It's this idea that we come into every relationship with a heart that looks like Jesus. Other people are more important than ourselves. And it is a choice that we have to make every day. It doesn't come easy. How many of you are humble in here? Raise your hand. Oh, you're listening. I liked it. That's good. It is a choice to be humble every single day, that there's no one that's really more important than you. You know, we dug this out in the last series that we were in, our marriage series in Ephesians chapter 5. It's this idea of submitting to one another. We don't use that word very often in our culture, do we? Submit. I know Ray does when he's on the mat with his jujitsu. But we don't use that word a lot. But that's the kind of life that God calls us to in his son, Jesus Christ, is to submit to one another, to recognize I'm no more important than you. You're no more important than me. We're in this thing together. And then Paul goes on in verse 4. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. For you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And attitude makes all the difference. Every morning that we get up, we start the day. We have to tell ourselves, today I'm going to take on the attitude that Jesus Christ had with the world around him. That's being loving and compassionate, patient, forgiving, letting people in traffic. I don't know that Jesus had to deal with that, but we do. But attitude is everything. See, what we have to realize is that God became nothing for me and you. Has that ever really registered in your mind? The creator of all the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, everything in all creation bows down to him and he left all of that and became nothing, a slave. Everyone else's needs, our needs were more important than his needs. 
And Paul says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Verses 6 and 7, you'll notice in your text that the, the way things are typed and written look a little different than the rest of the text. And that's because most scholars believe that these next few verses are one of the first hymns that were sung in the early church. And so Paul is inserting one of the early hymns that they would have sang together into this letter. And he says in verse 6, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. And instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He gave up everything, all privilege, his acknowledgement as God himself. And what we notice that Paul's calling us to is this realization that pleasing God is not about self-promotion, it is about self-abandonment. It is about leaving behind who you are and taking on the image of who Christ truly is. And Jesus warns us about what that looks like if you choose not to do that versus if you choose to live how he's called us to live. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 35, uh, Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. If you and I try to promote ourselves, try to promote our own agendas, get our own way all the time, let everyone else uh, offend us in how we're living life, Jesus says you're going to end up losing everything. He's calling us to the life that he has lived Jesus lost his position in heaven to become a slave. And what does a slave actually look like? A slave has no rights. A slave has no self-will. He's always obedient to the master. You have no say on when you go to bed, when you get up, when you travel. And God left everything to serve me and you. He left it all behind. And that mentality drives me to serve him even more, doesn't it you? To, to recognize that someone gave up their very life for me makes me want to live for them and serve them even more. And my hope is that that will be the case in your life as well. You know, Genesis 1 and 2, in Genesis 1 and 2, it says that God made everything out of nothing. And my guess is he'll do the same for us. That as long as you make yourself nothing, he will make something out of you too. This letter opens up interestingly, chapter one and verse one in Philippians. It says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. It's the only letter where Paul introduces himself as a slave because he's trying to make the point. I have a different mindset about life. I've changed my perspective. I've left me behind and I've taken on the mind of Christ in the process. He calls himself a slave, a servant, someone who's permanently devoted to the will of another. And so you and I in our own lives, we have to get to the conclusion that this is where we're going to land in our own life as we're disciples of Christ. And it's this idea that serving is not what I do, but a servant is who I am. 
That's the kind of life that God's called us into in his son, Jesus Christ. We all serve in different ways. We go on that week-long mission trip in the summertime. Some of us take turns on the praise team or in the sound booth. Some of us take a quarter teaching our kids about who Jesus truly is. And while all that is part of the bigger picture, we have to understand that every single day we're called to servanthood. Every day. We have so many here. Dawn Dykeman right now is normally up here helping us sign. She's in Kenya right now with our orphanage that we support, about 50 or so deaf children that live there. She's pouring into them. She's a servant in that regard. In Campamento, Honduras, we've got Donnie and his wife Donna who work with the local church there and run a daycare and also help with clean water for their community doing a phenomenal job. And so many of you have volunteered, as I've already mentioned, to, to greet us as we walk in in the mornings or serve in the sound booth with our kids or in our youth ministry. There are a number of ways that you have chosen to serve. Jesus said, I came to serve you. And so we take on the mind and the heart of Christ. And in doing so, we live that out every single day. Our text continues in verse 8. When Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, we serve an incredible Savior. He gave up everything for us. What a wonderful Savior we serve. And as we see these, these admonitions from Paul and knowing where he is chained to a guard, imprisoned, anticipating his death after a trial, Paul has some words to tell us all through his letters because he's made a decision to take on the mind of Christ. Even in dire situations, Paul can say things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I consider my life nothing to me. I consider everything a loss. Don't be anxious about anything. I mean, how could Paul say those things at the end of his life? Because if you think like Jesus thought, you'll live like Jesus lived. It's a mind shift. It's understanding it's not about me. It's about all of us pointing to him and living in such a way that we're willing to give all of that up like he gave up for us so that he is glorified and his name is shouted from the mountaintops. See, my joy that I have in my life isn't based on what happens to me, but it's about what God is doing in me and through me that brings me joy. Knowing that I've been redeemed, that my sin has been forgiven, that in him I'm a child of, of God. Jesus is my brother. You guys are my family. What a joyful life that we get to live into. Paul finishes up this particular uh, part of the letter with verses 17 and 18, and he says, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. 
and I will share your joy. Church, it's in Jesus Christ that we'll have the best life that we could ever live. I'm excited about that. I don't know about you. It is an incredible opportunity for us to show the world what it means to be a believer, to have that faith in Jesus Christ that results in the peace in our lives, the unbounded love, the forgiveness of our own sin. And I know that some of you here this morning, maybe joining us online, are, are wondering, how can I tap into that? How can I have what Paul has in his letter? I want that kind of peace and love and community in my life. Well, you can only have that in Jesus Christ. And so some of you here this morning maybe have never been baptized into Christ. And that's how you begin. It's by saying, I believe, and then publicly make that statement, being baptized into his name. You're raised out of that water. All your sins are washed away, full of the Holy Spirit, ready to, to go out into the world and have that peace that passes all understanding and share with others how they too can have that. I'm excited to say that after second service, we're going to have a baptism and then another one later on this afternoon. So praise God for people wanting to come to Jesus Christ. It's a great opportunity and we're looking forward to that, to witnessing that. And maybe some of you in here at one time were baptized into Christ, but you've let the distractions of the world kind of pull your attention in different directions. And you want to refocus that like Paul's calling us to. To kind of have that kind of mindset, that perspective where you're focused on just what Jesus is doing right in front of you. And so as we sing this next song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And I want to encourage you, don't sit in your chair. If you have just a little bit of anxiety in your life, a little bit of wondering, go find one of those couples and let them pray over you and for you, reminding you that you are beloved of God. That Jesus Christ is your brother and he advocates for you that your sins are washed away and that you can have this beautiful focused life like Paul calls us to. The more you think like Jesus, the more you'll live like him. That's the call this morning. So let's stand as the family of God with one voice and praise his holy name.